started. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you again for your love and grace. Thank you that you are there in the middle of storms. You're in the middle of joys. You're there. Sometimes we don't always perceive you. So this morning, may we continue to learn and grow and gain a better understanding of who you are and your heart towards us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So next slide, once somebody can move me to that one, because I have no control over that yet. We good? Okay. All right. Give me the screen so I can actually control things. <laughs> Men in their remotes, right? Are we there, Russ? You got to give me the screen. Yeah, there we go. All right. Now we're back to normal. Just delete all that other stuff we just, just saw. So when, plans, when our plans don't go according to plan, last week we started talking about this, and uh, uh, a couple of points that we made last week that are really important. When things don't go right, when stuff hits the fan, when we don't expect certain blind sides in life, where's God in this? How can we perceive who God is? How, how can we find a different perspective? Um, a great person to talk to is Diane. You know he's going to pick on you, Diane. But Diane's a, a fantastic example of what, well, I think her response has been my example. She's been my encouragement for facing death, facing horrific concerns, and somehow having this good attitude. Like, you've never wrestled internally with anything, right? It's always been positive, right? <laughs> of course she has. Being real is important. Being transparent is important. And uh, what I don't want to do is create a, uh, a happy-go-lucky churchianity that says you've got to smile and grit your teeth and say, Jesus is in this, and everything's fine, everything's fine, even though life's going crappy for you, circumstantially, and just playing the plastic face. I'm done with the plastic face. I'm tired of it. And again, there are times where we can't just be overly transparent because of the group we're with. But in the context of good friends and relationships, and as you get to know different people here at Hope Fellowship, you'll be able to open up and begin to share your heart and receive somebody else's story and then have the opportunity to share your story. That's what the Fellowship of the Saints is all about. That's why we get to know each other. I know some people don't like this idea of surface relationships. I am 100% for surface relationships, and here's why. Surface relationships provide the opportunity for you to connect with somebody that you may have a better connection with and go deeper with that person. Making a new friend. Go, you know what, I really connect with that person, and boom, you begin and having that friendship. But it happens in a pool. It happens in that context. My problem as a pastor for many years was being that connector for everybody and trying to fill that void. In fact, um, my wife will attest to this, but the one church I was at, I, I felt every person that was new, I had to go and be their friend, new buddy. And, and, but I got accused of switching buddies constantly as new people came in and, and having to, I, I, I got spread out so thin, I, expectations could never be met. And I had to give that up. That was really hard. And it bugs me because I like meeting new people. I like connecting. I like doing coffee. But I can't be everybody's real friend in a very relational way. But I can, there are different levels of friendship we can have. Because nobody has that much time. Nobody. 
So surface relationships are important because we get to go deeper, especially when this stuff happens. So what can we learn from when things hit the fan? First of all, we talked last week about it. It becomes an opportunity to redirect your attention because usually when stuff hits, our attention is drawn to the trouble, to the circumstance. And so all we see is our darkness. All we see is the trouble. But the trouble isn't everything. It's just the circumstance we happen to be walking in, and it may be so deep. Then, we talked about it, it becomes an opportunity to consider that his plans may be different. Where your plans got railroaded, you lost that job, you lost that promotion, you lost that spouse, something is gone that you had planned for the rest of your life, it's gone. Now what? Maybe God has a way to take this trouble and turn it into something of beauty still. Does God cause those things? I do not believe that. I think he's in it, actively working, weaving things together. And we're going to talk about some of those verses today because God's not a monster God inflicting pain. He's not like that. So today, what can we learn when our plans don't go according to plan? Today we're going to talk about it is now an opportunity to trust him. When stuff hits the fan... Think, opportunity to trust God, because it is way out of my league. I like to be in control of what's happening with my calendar. I'm saying this generically for everybody, because we all do. We want to control our world, our life, our families. Really, everybody wants to do that kind of control. But there's a surrender that has to come when things are knocked off the tracks. Are we, we can't control that. It happens. You're going to pull out of the parking lot and somebody could broadside your vehicle and now you're into a new trouble that you did not see coming because it didn't look both ways. No, I don't know. But I'm just saying, it, 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 it'll happen. So let's take a look at this. Perspective. God is the God of outcomes. Nothing surprises him. The reason I use this quote is because uh, if you see God as one who's just looking at you with disgust and I can't believe you did that. After all I've taught you, after all I've done for you, I can't believe you did that. How many have ever had that thought? I have. Believe me, a a lot. You know, the feeling that God is disgusted with me and disappointed. Disappointed is the key word. I have to say bluntly again, and I, I remember one time I said this, one couple left the church immediately and never came back. So please don't leave. Hear me out. God is not and cannot ever be disappointed with you. It's an absolute impossibility in my mind, and here's why. The word disappointment means, look it up in the dictionary yourself, Failed expectation. That's the essence of it. A failed expectation. That's what disappointment is. We're disappointed in others. We're disappointed with our kids when they misbehave. We're disappointed with our spouse when they don't act the way we want them to. We're disappointed with our job because they're not paying us enough. We're disappointed with that person because they they don't know how to use a stupid roundabout and you're just disappointed. And so, you know what I mean? Like all these disappointments and expectations we have. God doesn't put that onto you. He knows your life. 
He knows in advance how you're going to act. And by the way, God's foreknowledge of what you're going to say and do does not mean he's going to manipulate and control that. He foresees and has already placed in place, into place a plan, a fix, a healing, even with your stupid decisions and all of mine. We do make mistakes. And God is there in the middle. He's not absent from them. He's not going, oh no, I didn't see that coming. Holy Spirit, Jesus, we need a new plan. We did not see that coming. Okay? Your God foresees, foreknows, and he is there in it. Crying with you, weeping with you. There's more to the story than what we get in our three-dimensional world. We're limited in our perspective. And some of the questions we have, we may not get answers to. And it's okay. Whoever thinks they're the answer person, be scared of them. Probably the most judgmental people are the ones who have all the answers. All the quick verses, boom, got to do this, boom. It may mean well, but it's not about the answer. It's about our relationships. It's about our hearts compassion. It's about our tone. (laughs) Welcome to unlearning. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Work hard, Philippians 2. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you. Giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. I'm going to read this in three different translations because I want you to get it. I want you to answer this question in your mind as I read them through. Who is the source of all of this? And who is the object? Okay? Another translation. I forgot to write in which translation it was, but sorry. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Now, the, re- the reason that first part's important is because many have read the uh, traditional translation say, work out your salvation. And they've misheard it as work for your salvation. Not necessarily to get your salvation, because we don't believe in work salvation, but in the Christian religion, many groups do without saying it. So what they'll say instead is, you need to be the one who keeps working to maintain your salvation. That's not it at all. Listen carefully what these verses say. It never says that anywhere. In all three of these translations, it says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So, so far, he's the source. He's the beginning, the middle, and the end. He's the one who gives the desire. He's the one who empowers you to do what he places in your mind to do. And he's the result of whatever he places in you to do, and you do. He, he gets the glory. He gets the, the benefits. And you benefit for free. You're a participant. I like this translation. This is awesome. I think this is the Passion Translation. Continue to allow your new life to manifest through you as you live in the holy awe of God. Just think about that for a second. To live in the holy awe of God. 
How many Sundays have you come or gone to church over the years and there's, where's the awe? It's like, I gotta do this again. I'll have to serve on this team. Oh, I gotta show up early. Oh, is the coffee ready? I don't feel like being here. We just had a fight in the car. Oh, this is boring. When, how many more years of this do we have to do? Seriously, like these are normal thoughts people have or people do it out of duty. When was the last time you came? I want to experience the awe of God. What's he going to show me today in this context? This context is one part of your week. Coming to church or the gathering of the saints has a benefit, but it is not the only benefit. Every day of the week and many parts of the day, there are different aspects that happen where God is revealing his awe and reverence to you. Are you looking for it? No, it only happens between 10, 30, 11. You know, or the Holy Spirit shows up at 10, 30 at Hope Fellowship. Whatever church you're at, 11 o'clock, 11, 30, unless you're trendy, Saturday night, 6 o'clock. You know, whatever it is, when does the Holy Spirit show up? He is actively, always, constantly at work in us. And if you don't know this, and if you don't believe this, you're not going to look for it. You're only going to get it on Sunday mornings if you think that's the time. Let's see if that song's any good if it'll touch my heart and move me. Ah, oh, that key was out of... Uh, no, he's, he's not singing in a range I can sing. Next song. <laughs> now, where's those hymns? Ah, oh, too many choruses. You're repeating too much. That's too loud. It's too quiet. Too loud. Too, like, all the complaints. Seriously. That is not the issue. The issue is the awe and reverence. God already in you. Are you coming with an expectation to receive and believe? Are you coming to get your needs met? I hope not. This isn't about you. Those who know their identity in Christ have got to move on to us for others. This is us serving, loving others. We give up our rights, our wishes, so that others will benefit instead. I see so many sacrifices in this church. I see right now we've got Sunday school teachers out there teaching, not participating in this, missing out on it week after week after week after week after week. I've even heard some people say, I don't have a gift in that field. Oh, yeah? You want to bet? Let me remind you, just for all the naysayers. The Holy Spirit is the gift, not your talent. Sometimes talent and gift work together. The gift is the Holy Spirit. If he commands you or calls you or tugs your heart to do something, he'll be the one who empowers you to do it. But I'm not that good at it. It's not about you. It's about the heart of willingness, willing to obey. And obedience is not a bad swear word, okay? It's the get to, not have to. If you perceive obedience as a have to, you've got a very interesting perspective of who you think God is. He is love, and it's the desire He pla- desire the, the, the desire He places in you that sparks the want to. That's called obedience. And when you follow through the want to that He inspired you with, that's biblical obedience. That's good news. It's not that hard. Live in the holy awe of God, which brings you trembling into his presence. Now, this is not saying you're out of his presence and coming into it. Okay? 
We know that. That's not the intent. Paul is really clear. Christ in us, around us, we're in him. It's not an absence thing. This is about an awareness thing. Too many times in some churches they sing, Come, Lord Jesus, we invite you to be present with us. As if he's not there already. Really? (laughs) A more biblical prayer is, Father, make your presence that is already here known to us. May we feel it and experience it. Wake us up to your awe already in us. Reduce the clutter. Take away the darkness that's preventing us from hearing, believing, and receiving your life and your love this morning. That's the Holy Spirit at work. The Holy Spirit is present in you, in me. You showing up here is an encouragement to the person beside you because the presence of Christ comes with you and is in you. You don't even know what you're doing. You don't even know you're having an effect on somebody because Christ is doing the work you can't see. Just by being here, just by having coffee with somebody, just by encouraging somebody who needs encouragement out in the street, be being kind to a cashier, that is Christ in you ministering. Do you get it? God will continually revitalize you, implanting within you the passion to accomplish the good things you desire to do. Because he's the one who places the desire in you anyway. St. Francis of Assisi, love God, do as you please. How many have heard that? Okay, a couple ways to see that one. A good legalist hates that because they'll say, um, love God, do as you please. Oh, that means I can go out and sin and do everything I want to. That is not at all what it means. They think, oh, if you give that kind of freedom, then, oh no, people, people will, will, they need rules to stop them from sinning. No, we've learned that one already. The law incites sin and fuels sin. Instead, freedom, let's take this phrase, love God and do as you please. My question to you is, who is you? Who is you? Love God. That's the beginning. Love God. Do as you please. You, your oneness with Christ, the desires he places in you, now do as you please in your oneness with Christ. That's what he meant. Not, ooh, cool, I can go sin and do all kinds of stuff because I'm forgiven already. That's such foolishness. True grace says to say no to ungodliness. Anybody that uses grace or freedom uh, as a license to go sin is ignorant of what grace truly is and have missed the picture of who Jesus is in them. There is no excuse. There's, you're free from all that. Why would you want to go do that? It's like a, a homeless person eating out of the garbage dumpster and the buffet owner invites them in and says, come and eat all you want. No, 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 I'm good here. That, that's, that's how much freedom we have. We've been invited to the table. Come and eat the good food. He's doing the work in us. It's an opportunity, an opportunity to see more. Romans 8, 28. We're going to look at two translations. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. How many have heard this verse before? This is a powerful verse. Let me show it to you in another translation. I, I read many translations, a whole bunch, because each one will say it a bit differently. The, the original languages are the same, so you can still research and find out what the real words are. But there are different spins on certain words that you may not have seen before. Look at this. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good 
of bringing good into our lives. For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his design purpose. The one who has a hard time seeing this right now is the one who's walking through darkness and pain. I don't see the good. You're right. So, why don't we, as believers who love and already have an existing relationship with that person, help them see, be love to them? Why not? Let's take a look at some other people that had their stories changed. This is my favorite one. Story of Joseph. Classic, excellent picture. As a young man, he was loved by his parents, overly loved. He even got a special code. Everybody got jealous, blah, blah, blah. You remember all that, right? Then he was hated by his brothers, who couldn't stand it because he kind of had a big mouth. But the big mouth became a gift, but a curse at the time. Nobody could stand it, but it was a gift later. So they sold him. And then he became a slave. Then he got accused of doing something he didn't do, sleep with Potiphar's wife. He didn't do it. He ran. Then he became a prisoner, ended up in jail, forgotten. He had favor in the jail, but who wants to be in jail? He was forgotten for 13 years. That's approximate. How would you like to have gone through that for 13 years? And you think your problems might be big? Two months, one week, one day of trouble? 13 years! And there are many other stories of people that have gone through much longer things and still God has woven in that darkness a tapestry of beauty, taking the ashes and the darkness, mixing with beauty and color to make an incredible work of art out of you because you are his masterpiece. He's not done. He eventually became prime minister, second in Egypt, And later, he had a reunion. These are blindsides. These are a change of plans. He never planned to be sold. He never planned to get set up and go to prison. He definitely didn't plan to become second in command of Egypt. All the stress that goes with that. Who else? Sometimes the detour is the only way to the destination. But we can't see that. Often the disappointments of life are a part of the Lord's curriculum to prepare you for an even more determinative ministry. Nothing is ever wasted in the will of God. Your future is as bright as the promises of God. Wherever you're at right now, no matter what you've walked through, no matter what kind of rejection or pain or loss you've experienced, it's not over. Your circumstances do not define who you are. It just shows where you've been. Don't mix those up. No excuses for acting the way you do because of what somebody did to you a long time ago. Stop it and grow up. And the only way to grow up is look in the eyes of Christ. Go, oh man, if I had that perspective. And suddenly he begins to melt all the bitterness. There's story after story in this group right here. Uh, I'm looking at a whole bunch of you. I know pain. I've seen it. You've told me your stories. You know exactly what I'm talking about. There is still hope. Look at Joseph. After all those years, he ends up having kids. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh, forget, (laughs) saying, God made me forget all my hardships 
And this part I didn't catch until this week. And my parental home. Ooh. He named his son Manessa. I used to think, and I, I'm still going to look for it, because I thought it meant the bitterness has left me. The, the, the pain was still there, but the bitterness of the memory has left me. So maybe it's part of the forget. I don't know. But here he's saying, God made me forget all my hardships and my parental home. He forgot about his family. There was no way he can get to them. Didn't know anything about where they were, what, what happened. Then he named his second son. Listen to this. Ephraim means double prosperity, saying, God has prospered me in the land of my sorrow. He was brought to a land of sorrow, and God prospered him there. Are you going to let God prosper you in your land of sorrow, your land of darkness? See, wherever you go, Christ is with you. He is your prosperity. I'm not talking about money necessarily. I'm talking about joy and all the benefits of everything he has possibly given us, our health, our healing, our right thinking as he continues to correct us. None of us have the perfect picture of God. We've gone over that several times here. But I thought these names are really powerful. He still was honest. And then he meets up his brothers later. And they thought that once they, he discover, once they discovered who he was, they went, we're dead. He said, hang on. Don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. Are you okay with being a pawn? Or do you have to be the king? Do you have to be the queen? Do you have to play rook? Are you okay being in the plan? Somehow. May not be so glorious of a position. Well, maybe there's a pride issue. I'm speaking to myself too here. There, there have been times I wished for this or that, or I wished for, you know, you name it. But the Lord has to soften my heart. Mike, whose church is this? Yours. <laughs> it's his church, not mine. He's the teacher. This is important. He said, God intended this for good. Meaning, whatever you've walked through, whatever you're shaking your fist at God about, he is going to use it for good. He's not done. Your story's not finished. Don't lose hope in this vending machine society that wants things quick and easy. Nothing's quick and easy. What's the longest marriage we've got in this room? How many years married? Shout it out. 50? 50 years? Next? You Okay, that's a good record. Yep. Was it easy? <laughs> So I'm going to see who says no first. <laughs> there were some trials. Yeah. Anything of tremendous core good takes time, course corrections, humility, and a lot of forgiveness. Cup bearer. Oh, sorry, the baker and the cup bearer. All coming out of the story of Joseph. I want to show you something really cool. If you've never seen this before, awesome. Some of you have. 
there's a cool prophecy in the story of Joseph. Where God meant it for good, let me show you a messianic picture. In that story, the bread from the baker. The bread represents the body of Christ. Okay, our sustenance. Then we have, oh, there we go. I didn't realize it was next. The baker died when? Three days later. So Joseph, Joseph has these two guys come to him, say, hey, we, we had these dreams. And so he interprets the dreams. And the one guy, he gets a favorable one, the wine bearer or the cup bearer. Oh, you're going to be free in three days. The other guy goes, cool, hey, tell me, tell me what my dream means too then. That's cool. Oh, yours is not so good. <laughs> you're dead. You know? he didn't, I don't think he liked it. He probably didn't pay his, his uh, fee for getting the dream interpreted. But um, here we have the bread, Jesus represents the body, and he died three days later. Then we have the wine. Represents the blood. Is the cupbearer. Blood and wine was released three days later, set free. Okay? Here it is. Later, it was the butler, the one who represented the wine, who spoke and released Joseph. The blood of Christ has released you and me from sin. We are now free because of what the blood of Christ has done. Do you see the link? Do you see the, the connection? Blood of, the blood speaks. In Hebrews 12, 24, it says, And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. The blood of Jesus speaks of a better thing, better things to the finished work. Even in medicine, the blood speaks. You have a problem, you have blood work done, and the blood will tell you what is going on inside of you. Thank you, Lonry from Saskatoon, who is a medical doctor. He says, the blood speaks. It tells you what's going on in you. It's really true. You need to listen. Well, the blood spoke. The blood of Jesus spoke and has set us free once for all. There's much good news. That's it. We can't go any further because <laughs> I have to come back next week. So, All right. Uh, let's close in a word of prayer. I hear the kids going antsy out there. Heavenly Father, you hear me say this one a lot, but please be gentle with us, with me. Be gentle, and may we be teachable so that gentleness comes easy. Speak to our hearts. Correct the false pictures and perceptions we have of you. Correct our false pictures of what we have of how you see the world. May we see with your eyes. Open our eyes to see. And for those here who are struggling with the fact they don't feel loved or even liked by you, I pray that you speak deep into their soul. Remind them you love everyone and you like them. And you want to lift them out of their darkness. Father, if you need to use us, to help somebody be lifted out of darkness. May our ears be open to hear your voice of instruction that we may willingly obey and reach out. I pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.